Hi, I'm Christy Hurt, the founder of The CoLab. We are a collective of professionals sharing our experiences working in fashion, beauty, wellness, and retail. We pair up two people. They get to interview each other. So you'll hear one story this week and one story next week. We hope you'll listen to these stories, love them, share them, and then join us at jointhecolab.com and share your story. Hi, Rita. Hi, Agat. How are you? I'm good. How are you? So good to be with you here. Yes. As I said, I prefer to interview, so I'm happy to be in this seat. And I want to ask you to share a little bit about you, but after I have plenty of questions for you. Sounds good. Tell us all what you do. I am a luxury fashion executive with experience in uh, omnichannel leadership, wholesale, retail, e-commerce, marketing. I have my own consulting company here in New York, through which I mostly help European companies approach, relaunch, or restructure the uh, North American market or the global market. So that's what I do. I think that this is what you do, but I would like this interview to unearth basically your heritage because you are someone who's born into fashion, really literally born into fashion because you were born from two extraordinary parents who were the first ones to bring some of the mo the biggest brands in the luxury brands to Italy. So can you tell us a little bit about your parents? Well, I was definitely born into fashion. My parents, like you said, it all started back in 1957. My parents were in the south of Italy in a region in Puglia, in a region called uh, Salento, and they opened their first retail store in Lecce. Immediately, they started traveling and uh, going to London, Paris, Milan, where they really looked for the most advanced and beautiful creation that uh, fashion could really offer at that time. And they audaciously brought to Italy uh, and to the south of Italy, which was extremely conservative at the time, brands like Mary Quaint, which was the inventor of the miniskirt, Yves Saint Laurent, Christian Nior, Comme de Garçon, Versace, Margiela, Helmut Lang, all, you know, the whole, I want to say, path of how history kind of, the history of fashion went. They were, they kind of introduced all of those brands to the south of Italy. It was quite revolutionary at the time. And they were extraordinary people who really had this heart, the idea of like creativity and young minds, right? And they had three children, my two brothers, uh, Carlo, Ennio, and I. And I remember when we were growing up, like my brother was like, um, who, who then grew up to be the founder of Costume National. Even when he was like 15 years old, they were the ones to encourage him to design their retail stores and their homes. And so give him a lot of responsibility, but in a creative way. And so I remember when I was growing up, um, you know, we were like living and breathing this environment of creativity, creativity all around us with influences that were coming from like very far away countries and remarkable people all around us. And it was quite extraordinary. I spent I remember spending many afternoons at my parents' store doing homework after school since I was very, very young. Uh, and for them, you know. The business was like really a family business. It was a business of fashion, but as a family and all of us children, we were all part of it from the start. Most of my hours, I spent them literally in their stores. You have an understanding of fashion that is so much of an insider 
not only an insider, but also from a very strong avant-garde mindset because they were the foremost. So you were raised an insider with an avant-garde mindset of parents, but also with, from what I understand, parents who were extremely, how can I say, they pushed you to make your own decisions, to give your own opinion, to give your judgment, like really where you were solicited, right? You were solicited, all of you as all three children in different ways. I think that was the most important thing for them, right? Really make us become our own person and who we were really meant to be. Like with my brothers, they really pushed them to be as creative as they could. I remember when I was six years old, and onwards, they would send me to a store, to a clothing store for children that there was like in my town, not too far away from where we lived. They would leave me there for a few hours. I would choose my own clothing and then they would come and pick me up. And that was my wardrobe, you know, what I would wear for the next year or something like that. And how did you dress? I bought so many things, <laughs> so many different things. And they would uh, really, you know, they would encourage us to really make our own decisions, be as creative as we could and as smart also as we could in a practical sense as well, because they were, they had this both, you know, right and, and left brain kind of, uh, both of them. And, and I think it was very well transferred to all of us, all of basically. And I remember, for example, we traveled, I travel with them all the time as a young child, as in buying trips. And we spent very, very long hours in showrooms that were filled like with dresses, scarves, bags, and all these objects, you know, that as a child, I got to experience for Stand, and that was really my college degree. I'm going to tell you this. We need to do an episode with your parents. <laughs> my mom is still alive, but my mom passed, my, my father passed away, but my mom is still alive, 88, and she still to this day, my God. this year she closed her store after 65 years because, you know, she's 88 years old. But until last year, she was going to work in the morning and go back home for lunch and then go back to the store in the afternoon and spend all of her time working because that's her life. It's quite incredible. So I want to ask you because not only did they do that, but with your two brothers, the three of you created Costume National, which was one of the biggest iconic brands. Tell us about that because that's not only did you buy, but eventually you created also yeah, so absolutely. So at one point, uh, my my two brothers, uh, you know, when it was time, they went on and, and went to school. For example, my brother Enyo went on to art school in Milan and went to Japan to work as the only European person in the Yoji Aomoto Atelier. He spent three years there and they were very formative years. My other brother, Carlo, went to Milan, started working in a completely different field. He thought he didn't want to be in fashion and worked in, med, you know, wanted to be a doctor or whatever you, but it, it wasn't long until, you know, he started working in uh, for like company that uh, were distributing like Johnny Versace and Callaghan at the time, etc. And at one point he started to be an entrepreneur and launched a brand at the time that was very, very successful called Romeo Gigli. After that, it was a great success. He started partnering with Zama Sport, and they thought that it would be a good idea to launch a dormant classic Italian brand at the time. So Don Mello, who was the president of uh, Bird of Goodman, talked to Carlo about a young promising designer that could be perfect for the job. And uh, at the time, the brand was Gucci and the designer was Tom Ford. So it was an extraordinary enterprise that they put together. 
partnership with Zana, Zama Sport, my brother Carlo went on to own the license for all the Gucci categories for the next eight years until the company was recaptured by the Arabs. Uh, also, this experiment really truly carved the way for a trend of relaunching dormant fashion houses across the business. And that would prove to become very, very good and lucrative for all the fashion industry later, especially for the French conglomerates and and yeah, and the powerhouse. Meanwhile, my brother had returned from Japan and with Carlo, they decided to start a new brand, something that could really disrupt the rules of fashion and create new codes, very fashion forward, but also corrupted by like streetwear and real life, you know. And so in 1987, Costume National was born. And it was an incredible time. It was a very vibrant and creative time for everyone at that time. On one side, there was like very, you know, brands that were very established and a little bit, and fashion as a whole had become a little bit self-righteous and, and self-referential. The business really needed a shock. And so alongside with Carlo and Enyo, there were designers like Martin Margiela, Anna Müller-Meisser, Helmut Lang, you know. And so there was a real disruption in the 90s in the fashion industry. At the beginning, it wasn't easy, especially in Italy. And so Costume National went on to Paris and, and had the runway show in Paris rather than Milan. But then, you know, things kind of started working. The brand at the beginning was created by my two, brother, by my two brothers and, and a group of their friends and cousins and so on, all from the south of Italy. And they were all dressing in black, minimal, oversized clothing with a slight Japanese influence. And they were all walking like the streets of Milan in packs. And in contrast, women, you know, in Milan, they were elegantly wearing like designer padded shoulder jackets. I totally can picture it. With the perfect hair and makeup, you know, and they were going to buy bread. Were you also dressed like that? I was dressed like my brothers, obviously. I, I was younger at the time. I was still in, in high school, in in boarding school in Switzerland at the time, uh, in Lausanne. But anytime that I would go to Milan during sales campaign, I would uh, I would obviously be dressed like them. And all these women in Milan, they were looking at us as if we were all crazy. I want to ask you, just because we could spend hours on, on that story because it's so much fun, but I want to ask you because... It must have been also like that you went on to do your own, to become, you know, your own entity without having this pack of brothers and the family and everything. I mean, how did you break out of your, not out of your family, because you're obviously not breaking out, you know, but, but come out when you've had such an influence or did that influence ever be too much for you? I have to tell you, Agat, it was always very organic in our family. It came from our parents where they created a business that was, very, that was very successful because at one point they had many stores in the south of Italy. It went on with my two brothers like a founding Costume National and then at one point after my high school in Lausanne and then my university in London when I was done with school basically I somehow entered the company and became part owner of the company, it all became very, very organic. So we continued on the path that they had set for Costume National. And we I was part of that because my identity was um, as a human being, not just as a, as a in, in the workplace, was uh, completely uh, intertwined with, with the company itself. You know, we were not separating our private lives with the company and our work. It was just 
just the, we were living the way that we were, you know, and it was uh, and it was just that. And so costume was quite successful. It was always independent until the very end. And it did, you know, we did quite extraordinary work together, the three of us, in the sense that, you know, the company was all, always very advanced in terms of its aesthetic, but also in terms of business model. We were promoted like the digitalization of of the business very very early on we had a commerce between 2000 2006 we were building the e-commerce which was like very very early uh and 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 we talked about sustainability and inclusivity and ecology and all things that were you know that later came to become like very very important and together we created you know we had like musicians and actors as testimonials very very long before that became the norm you know and so so costume you know grew with with a large community of followers and and we had approximately like 300 employees all together i moved to the united states in the year 2000 the started like really running the company here and the company here grew to be quite successful so i i had to set it up we opened a store in new york a store in los angeles we had the, the wholesale business the e-commerce business all of that and then i had merchandising and marketing responsibilities throughout globally for the company so tell us a little bit when you arrived in the us how was it because you fashion you had been all in italy i mean in europe what was the big difference that you found doing business here, even though you had worked with them before? But what was the big difference? People here were very, very pragmatic compared to, to, to Europe. Like give us an example. It's just about everything on the systems, from how you would do things on, a, on an operational level, onto what was the approach to sales even. In Europe at that time, we all thought that it was all about personal relationships and, and how you would define certain things, which was, uh, had an importance. But in reality, here in the US, they were all like data driven. If you sold, you sold. If you didn't sell, you didn't sell. And so, you know what I mean? We, <laughs> it was a very different dynamic that, uh, you know, as, as Europeans original, at the beginning, yes, we understood, but, but it wasn't necessarily something that was inside as, a, as something very authentic for us. So I had to learn that. Do you think that there was more of that I don't want to say poetry, but in into the business, into the essence of what fashion is, like you know, for the the sake of the of of the creation, versus here where it's you know more mm -hmm. of a, a numbers game. And then I want to ask you also about inclusivity in the U.S. versus Europe. After, but I think that at one point the way of doing things in the U.S. versus how things were done in Europe kind of overlapped. And that is when the industry shifted completely when finance entered the industry. When was that? I think around 2006, 2007, or, or even a little earlier than that, I think that the industry shifted completely when the powerhouses started buying brands and really putting a lot of, uh, a lot of money into each brand to revamp them, to relaunch them. It all became very marketing-oriented. And so creativity kind of lost the importance that it needed to have. So there was like the aspect of marketing was much more prominent. And so the industry as a whole, right? 
At one point, though, I think that re- very recently, and for this, we have to thank people like Virgil and, 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 and the streetwear movement as a whole, I think, a little bit. Something like it, very similar to what happened in the 90s, something happened a few years ago again, where you know people kind of got really, really tired of getting pushed product based on marketing, right? So creativity was really needed again. So there was a lot of novelty, of newness, of disruption that came to the business with all the different collaborations that started happening. And with brands like, you know, it all really started with Vetmont, to be honest, with Demna really disrupted the business tremendously. And then it all kind of opened up to a very new outlook on what the fashion industry has to be. I mean, money and bottom line still rules and runs the business but there is a space for creativity that and inclusivity and new values that before we didn't see i think in the business and so and i think that that is a positive a very positive aspect let's talk about inclusivity because i know it's a big subject that is very dear to to you because there's many forms of inclusivity and how do you give it its importance when you with your own clients if they're consulting with you, how, how do you incorporate that conversation? Yeah. So basically, like I was saying, you know, at one point, uh, going back to the history of my family. So at one point, you know, after 2009 and the crisis and so on, we let a, a, an investor come inside Costume National. And at one point we decided to sell the whole company to them and we exited in 2016. So when I opened my own firm, my own business here, I started consulting for different brands. And through one of those consultings that I did, I encountered Woolrich. It was an American company that was owned actually by an Italian group. And they needed to relaunch the business globally and also here in North America. So I helped reposition and relaunch the business for them over the course of three years until the brand was sold again to a new private equity fund. And with them, for example, we really worked very, very, I want to say deeply on the concept of inclusivity and sustainability and really purpose, which is something that you had mentioned during our previous conversation. How did you do that? Yeah, we repositioned the brand, giving it purpose to begin with, right? So we we really recognized the purpose that the brand had globally. We wanted to make sure that the customer could really understand what the purpose of the brand was. And then with that came the idea of like exactly sustainability and inclusivity. We recognized that new values were important to new generations. And in order to really achieve a connection with the client, we really needed to talk about things that clients, you know, our clients were really passionate about and we were passionate about. We brought in this idea of inclusivity, both in terms of ethnic origin and in terms of body positivity and, you know, everything that inclusivity means in the workplace, in the product that we would uh, devise and so on. And so that was very successful. Why do you think fashion is not doing it as fast as, I don't know, maybe it's me, but as fast as they could? I think that for as much as everyone recognizes that there is a need to include and to change and to shift because the world needs this shift. It's hard to unlearn and relearn. It's hard to change one's ways. 
And so it takes time. It takes time because many companies have um, set ways and set policies and procedures. And in order to really change, you must be willing to really shift those policies and shift those procedures from within. And so it's not easy. So it needs to be, I don't think it can't be a hard cut. It needs to be a shift that happens over time. But I think we will get there because there is no other way. There is no other way. It's a beautiful message if we, if we can get there. Hopefully. Why is inclusivity important for you? I think that it is important to make sure that everyone is given the opportunity to A, wear what they want to wear, right? And feel how they want to feel. The most important thing is clients. We need to cater to everyone in the spectrum of possible and available clients, right? Because the purpose of fashion is to really uplift and really help view of themselves and really have this uh, joyful view of each other. So, So I think it is very, very important for brands to really push forward so that we can cater to all clients, as well as it is fundamental within the workplace to really give an opportunity to everyone, regardless of where they come from, what they look like, and how they approach the business. You know, you really have to, as a brand, when you when you hire somebody, you have to dig deeper than what people look like. You have to know whether somebody is really good for the brand and can really help the brand progress and can be a positive addition to the community. You have to work and do that shift If you don't, you'll miss out on many incredible people that can can give a lot to the fashion industry and can and can kind of advance it in the future. I agree. You know, Rita, it's interesting you say that because there was, I think, in the business of fashion report, recent report, there was a saying that maybe 50% of the people interviewed in a certain category were considering actually leaving the fashion industry because they were losing a sense of purpose. And... I thought, oh, well, that will open the, the, the gates for many more people who are outsiders to bring that fresh perspective into it. Hopefully. I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, right now it's an unprecedented time and it's such a special time that we, we take into consideration both the aspect of quality of life and quality of work in the fashion industry to be able to advance as a society. I think the future is bright, put it this way, because I do have a lot of respect and a lot of uh, uh, trust in some of the people that have the most power in the fashion industry today. They do realize and recognize the need to, to open up to a broader community. But I do feel that it's going to take time and of this uh, change. And I want to do my part and I want to help as much as I can. And I support this. So that's, that's where I'm coming from. As they say, from your mouth to God's ears, if we can chop chop the, uh, if God can chop chop the, the speed of things, uh, it would be great. Rita, this has been so amazing. I think you really are someone who has been born into fashion. I think I, I think we would need uh, 10 episodes with Rita just to grasp. Maybe not. Yes, to grasp. I mean, I would I would love to spend more time on your parents and in each one of your brother on every part, but. This is why I love interviewing and meeting people in the fashion industry. When I find people like you that have this richness of experience, this breadth of knowledge, 
it's just that's what my job as a recruiter uh, makes it fascinating. Oh, thank you, Agat. No, because you have, you know, you were, you know, the language, you know, the language you, you, you set, you did your homework, you know, while your parents were in showrooms. I mean, this was, you know, you're into it. You've created a brand, you've turned around brands. I think that's very unique. It's very unique and beautiful. Thank you. You're so sweet and I appreciate so much. And and I enjoyed very much talking to you. It's always fascinating hearing your perspective on things as well. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rita. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for being here for the Collab Career Stories podcast. Please follow us on social media at Join the Collab. And sign up to become a member and share your story at jointhecollab.com.